Hi, my name is Chris Little, and I am the host of The Lifestyle Chase. In 2018, I started this show to have meaningful conversations. I've interviewed over a hundred different people, both in and out of the fitness industry. This podcast is something I'm incredibly proud of. Welcome to season four. Thanks for joining me. All right, so welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 209. I am your host, Chris Little, and I am joined by the one and only Dr. Brianna Botsford. Did I get that right? You did. Woohoo! So how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. Today was an interesting day. Got the, the tires changed to winter's. Um, so got that taken care of cause you never know when it's going to snow, but it always comes at the most unexpected time. Um, one of my friends, Mark Zaret, he often asks people, what's something that's made you happy in the last two weeks. And I like borrowing that one cause that's a good one to kind of like set the tone for a conversation. So in the last two weeks, what's something that's made you especially happy? It's a good question. And I, I like to frame my days when I come home from clinic and, and I've been in the clinic, I'll ask my husband, like, what was the best thing about your day? So similar question. And I think, um, in the past two weeks for me, um, actually just that, like being in clinic and working with patients, um, I have a five month old baby. So obviously I get a lot of joy, um, from being his parent and, um, hanging out with him, but it's also really wonderful to get into the clinic and connect with my patients. And I think connection is something that we're all really craving right now. And I'm certainly hearing that a lot from my patients in clinic. And so, um, just being able to hold space for people, even if they're not feeling their best at this time, um, it still brings me a lot of joy to be able to uh, connect with them and hold that space. So, yeah. well, I mean, I can definitely agree with that whole like craving connection. I mean, uh, just the the last couple of days, I've really uh, noticed how I almost jump on opportunities to talk to people because it feels good for the soul. Um, I find that I really get charged up through um, in person training. Like every client, kind of like adds to my bucket. Um, yes. which is like, it's, it's such an interesting thing cause I'm, I'm fairly introverted, but at the same time, like working with people, um, I wouldn't be happy if I wasn't working with people. Like it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's, if I wasn't working with people, I wouldn't be as successful in the career path. I wouldn't put as much effort into it, etc. But like before we get too much further into the show, I really want the audience to know exactly who you are. Um, just like an introduction of yourself. Absolutely. So I'm a naturopathic doctor. Uh, I'm in Edmonton. Um, and uh, my background is... Um, that I, I studied phys ed and uh, life sciences at Queen's University. And then I uh, finished up those degrees and moved to Banff, Alberta to uh, be a, I actually worked in the Fairmont Banff Springs for a few years as a fitness manager. Um, and I worked as a trainer and um, managed the fitness center there and uh, 
people were always asking me uh, what they could do to improve their health in many different ways. And I feel like trainers have that unique um, position where they get all these questions and um, there you can have a lot of good answers for people lifestyle wise. And I felt like I wanted to learn more. So I went back to school at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in Toronto uh, for another four years and um, did my internship in the sports medicine program there um, because I was an Ironman uh, triathlete and just very passionate about sports med. And when I graduated, that's what I thought I was going to do is just 100% like work with athletes all the time. And what was really interesting was I sort of morphed my focus into um, women's health, um, but I still work a lot with all athletes, men and women. But um, what happened was there was a lot of um, patients who were athletes that were having just general health issues. And a piece of feedback I got from my one of my supervisors in clinic, not my sports med supervisor, but another one was that, well, you shouldn't work with athletes because athletes are healthy. They don't need you. Uh, they don't need your help. And that is, has turned out to be so wrong um, because obviously athletes are humans. And, you know, when I say athlete, I'm talking about anyone who trains intentionally. I don't just mean, you know, an iron man or um, a power lifter that's competitive or anything like that. I'm talking about anybody who trains with intention. And um, so obviously all those individuals can have a variety of health issues from digestive distress to hormone problems. And so that's kind of how I ended up um, shifting my focus to still work with athletes and active people, but obviously on their general health and well-being. There was so much to unpack there. Like you kind of <laughs> got me thinking when you talked about Banff, because I find that so many people kind of make transitions transitions where like, uh, Maybe they'll work remotely or maybe they'll find an opportunity with like the uh, tourism space or just like mm -hmm. being able to, to hybridize fitness, being like a combination of like outdoor adventure and like indoor training. But I'm curious, uh, what what spurred the move into BAMP for you? That's a good question. I when I was studying at Queens, um, so I actually grew up in Vancouver. It just sounds like I'm from Ontario because I went did all my schooling out east. But um, and I say out east, and people from the Maritimes are like, "That's not the east." Um, but I I uh, I did uh, my summers uh, when I was at Queens. I spent at the Kananaskis Golf Course, and I worked there in the summers. I just always wanted to um, check out the Rocky Mountains, and so I worked at that golf course as a server for my summers off between uh, semesters at Queens. And then I knew I wanted to land um, in either Canmore or Banff when I graduated. And so I, I managed to do just that. And um, it was amazing to live um, in the mountains. And I have so many friends um, that are still in Banff or Canmore, or they've moved on to other mountain towns, Golden, Revelstoke, things like that. And, um, you know, I'm in Edmonton, because I love Edmonton um, and also because um, my husband grew up here and is born and raised Edmontonian. So we landed here and I just love the community here and that's, that's why we stuck with it. So. Well, I mean, that totally makes sense. Something that I've kind of like uh, reflected on over my uh, little mountain trips and stuff like that is like oftentimes the grass seems greener on the other side. And it's not to say that one place is better than the other, but sometimes when mm -hmm. we really lean into what the place that we're in has, um, 
we uh, almost get like a fresh outlook on it. Like for myself, mm-hmm. I've really noticed that Edmonton has like this uh, small town feel. Like it feels like yes. everybody knows everybody. And I don't know totally. how, but it like there was at least three people that uh, told me to have you on this show. And so <laughs> that that's how like small town feel it is because like my audience has enough people that like three of them we're focused on the same person to unpack their story, um, which is super cool. With, uh, with regards to your experience in the mountains, um, I've found that everywhere that I've lived, whether it be a neighborhood or a community has kind of taught me things or like add a layer to my character. Um, what are a few things that kind of stand out for you with uh, your experience there? I think it's just that it's community and the importance of community because, you know, being in academia, um, you have a built-in community. There's people around you constantly that are your peers and you don't have to work very hard to connect with people. When I moved to Banff, it was the first time that I had to learn what community really meant and what it meant to create that for yourself. Um, And I think that is an extremely valuable skill. And like you said, you know, Edmonton feels like a small town, but you still have to participate to, to create that community and those connections. And I think I really learned that and honed that skill um, when I was living in in Banff. And I mean, you can't discount that the community that already exists, right? Obviously, there's many wonderful people that I met and that were already connected and had this sort of like network. And I was able to insert myself into that. And it really helped me um, emotionally and physically to, to meet people with, you know, that were like minded and shared my same values, instead of just being my peers that were in the same place studying the same thing. And that was our common ground. So I think, you know, it taught me the value of community and connection. And then when I moved back to Toronto, you know, going from Banff to Toronto, (laughs) like, totally different world. And um, that was really challenging. But what I had to remember was that even though you're in a big city, you can still create that same community and feeling. Um, And so I think, you know, everywhere I've lived since Banff, I've been able to um, use those skills. So I've found that for a lot of people, that sense of community is probably lacking, just like we reflected on, like, feeling mm-hmm. connected. Um, if you were to draw out, like, a blueprint as to how you have found community in your respective environments, what would that blueprint look like? I, I think the first thing uh, would be that you have to take risks. And I think as all, a fellow introvert, that is terrifying to put yourself in a vulnerable position um you know I'll never forget I went into the Lululemon in Banff and I you know was browsing and I had like no money but as I probably had no business buying hundred dollar yoga pants but that's sort of besides the point and I was in there and the and the manager who's still a connection of mine she said oh you know are you the new trainer from the springs and um you know we're all going to seven o'clock yoga it's a it's a pretty intense class but like you should come and just join us and meet some people and I was like okay and I went for it and it was like so terrifying and anxiety provoked like I did not want to do it because I did I was like I don't know about this and then you know from 
just taking that one risk for me, that was a risk. It doesn't seem like, you know, I didn't, you know, um, go skydiving or anything crazy, but like, for me, that was felt like a big risk to go and, and just join this class with people I had never met and, and then socialize with them afterwards and think that I had something valuable to contribute and they wanted me there. Like that was scary. I, I don't really know exactly why, but I think that taught me that initial little risk taught me a lot. And then, so that's like the first thing would be you have to put yourself out there and take risks and be okay with being vulnerable or saying something wrong or being uncomfortable or or even like realizing like, oh, like these are not my people. Like that's all fine. But you have to put yourself in those scenarios before you can find that out. And I think, um, you know, that's that's definitely the first step. And then intentionally maintaining connection because if, if you're also meeting other introverts or you're naturally introverted, you may not find it's easy to reach out all the time. And I think I see that a lot in my patients. And I certainly know that it's true for me, that I'm a lot better at checking in on how other people are doing than reaching out when I need something or I'm, I need help. Um, and I think that really solid relationships are built when we can ask each other for what we need, whether it's just a conversation or, um, you know, a walk or any, anything it's, you have to be able to initially make the connection and then continually connect with that person and follow up. Um, otherwise the relationship fizzles. And I think right now that's been tough. Like, I think we've all probably seen changes in our relationships and our communities over the past two years, because, um, you know, activities that we may have engaged in that kept us members of that group or what have you disappeared. Um, and so really being intentional about continuing to connect, even if it's just a text message, I think that's, I think that's part of the blueprint. Um, and then, and then, you know, celebrating each other and celebrating wins. You know, if you see like, Oh, Hey, Chris, I saw you got like, you know, number number two in Canada for the, your podcast or I don't know, whatever, right? Like you, you want to reach out and, and celebrate those things with those people that you're connected to so that they know like you're thinking about them and you're celebrating them um, and also not being shy to celebrate your wins. Um, I think those things help us stay engaged with each other. I mean, all of that is so true and it almost seems like uh... – like it's such an echo of my own beliefs. So I almost feel like uh, I have a very biased podcast, but at the same <laughs> time, I'm glad that you're able to like magnify that for me because sometimes when I say things, it just kind of uh, falls on deaf ears kind of thing. Like people have heard it enough from me that they're not even listening anymore. So for them to hear it from your perspective and your life experiences is going to hope hit home for anybody that's left um with regards to like you talked about making those connections sending people texts and stuff like in like the weeks going forward what does that look like for you in your life like I know how it looks like for me but I'm kind of curious uh what what your perspective with that is that's a it's a good question I think right now for me um everything in my personal life is centered around my my little guy and so I'm constantly reaching out to people to see if they want to meet me for a walk or, um, 
that that's my I do a lot of walking right now <laughs> and um it's great but I'm I think as the weather is going to potentially change um I'm going to have to get creative about how I stay uh engaged with people and, and um if, if I can't necessarily go for those hour-long walks um so bundling up, I guess, is one way. Um, and then uh, for me, it's also like, and I'd say this to my patients too, you have to identify warning signs or like signals that you're losing your connection or you're losing that social piece that lights you up. Um, and for me, that warning sign often looks like like sadness or isolation, like just, you know, feeling down um, because I haven't necessarily put the effort in and you can't just rely on other people to do it. Right. Um, which is easier. It's easier to wait for somebody to call or somebody to text, but they might be going through the same thing and they might really need you. Um, and I've heard that from other people lately where I've been like, Hey, do you want to, I'm just heading out for a walk. Do you want to come by and, and go with me? And they're like, you know, we go for our walk and we come back to the house and they're like, gosh, I needed this. Thank you. And I'm like, actually, me too. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's really validating. So I think for me in the next couple of weeks, it looks like, you know, watching for warning signs that I need that I or I'm lacking those connections and I haven't haven't activated them enough. And um, just figuring out ways to maintain um, if I'm not able to go outside as much. Definitely. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot there to kind of like reflect on and one of my favorite pieces was just the fact that most often when we are feeling a certain way the people that we care about also feel that way yeah even if they're like our role models or like the people who we think never feel pain like they're just unstoppable there's nothing that could ever take them out they might even feel it more intensely than mm -hmm. we do in fact like I'm sure uh, most of my role models could confirm that for me because it's just like everybody's human and mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, people who stand out for, for caring deeply or for feeling emotions in intense ways, they not only feel the positive outgoing emotions, but they also feel the the negative um, emotions that just like take them out of commission for the day where like a text could be the one thing that turned their whole day around. Um, can you reflect on a time in the last two years when somebody else reaching out to you uh, turned your day around? Yeah, absolutely. I, so my baby was born four weeks early and it was a total surprise. We were so like, I was supposed to work until the 10th of June and my baby was born on May 19th. So you can imagine like the chaos that ensued with having, you know, four weeks of patients that I had to reschedule and everything like that. Like not to mention just like, surprise, you're having a baby today um, when you thought you had another month. And so that was really shocking. And, you know, birth and motherhood changes you in a lot of ways. But what happened for me was my neighbor, um, who I actually knew before I moved to the neighborhood, and I didn't know that she lived here. Um, but she, she texted me shortly after the baby was born and said, you know, what can we do to help you right now? Because I know you weren't expecting this and I know that this was probably hard she, like baseline it's hard and it was four weeks early and she set up what was called a meal train for us where um it was like a it's a, actually a website where you can um 
like people can sign up to bring you meals or to order you food. And that was like the most incredible thing postpartum or like any hard time in your life, like get someone to set you up a meal train and have them bring you food because I don't know, just taking that stress of like what's for dinner every night and knowing it, d- it doesn't matter, but like something's going to show up on our front porch at five o'clock um, was just magical. Um, and I, that totally changed not only my day, but like she set it up for three or four weeks. So we had our community again, you know, I could just send people the link and um, they could sign up if they wanted to or not. Um, And that was just so helpful and just totally made me feel so cared for and loved and valued. Of all the meals that you had, is there one that stands (laughs) out? Like one that you just like, you can't forget. Um, well, uh, one of my colleagues signed up and she put in the notes that she wanted to order us sushi, um, because you can't have raw fish, uh, very much, or you're not really supposed to when you're pregnant. And so she knew that sushi was something that I was really looking forward to. Um, so she, that, that just, you know, was a little extra icing on the cake that, you know, she was going to send us sushi and we could just let her know what our order was. So that was cool. That's awesome. Um, so with your journey into being a naturopathic doctor, like I got that right. Right. Um, so how were the first like three months, usually the first three months of any role kind of feels like uncomfortable or maybe there's like just a lot going on in your head. What was it like for you within that, uh, part of your life? Uh, I graduated in May and, I got what's called an interim license where I got licensed by the board in Alberta provisionally under, like I had another naturopathic doctor supervising me. So I was able to see patients and start my practice right away, but kind of with the safety net of having a mentor um, that was actually like liable for my patients. And was, I was practicing essentially under his license um, for the first three months, coincidentally, until my what's called NPLEX results came through. And so that's the board um, examination in um, North America. Uh, and then each province has their own um, additional requirements that you have to complete depending on which province you practice in. And so um, I was so fortunate to be able to have that sort of mentor to run everything by um for one you know like go through case by case and get feedback and um you know you supposedly you graduate and you're able to practice um however i think when you're out of the clinic like out of the student teaching clinic and you're in the real world it's very different and so that first three months having um and it's almost like an additional residency or additional uh, time where i was still supervised uh, was really helpful for me um and i think i i don't know about the first three months but definitely the first year um i was also brand new to edmonton so that's when I started building um, my community of primarily um, like athletes and active people. Like I remember there was a CrossFit gym that I'm still to this day connected with and love them and their family and everyone, like the community is amazing. And I, um, 
I first connected with them to do nutrition talks. And like, that was one thing I went in and I, I was like, well, like, you know, we're just going to take this risk and we're going to see how it goes. And seven years later, like I'm still connected with the owners and their family and all the, and the members. And there's people that I've known this whole time. Um, and then same thing with like the triathlon community. I being a triathlete was like, all right, like, I'm going to make some triathlete friends. And um, that's how I met Jess um, LaCourcière, who uh, is one of my good friends. And she um, and I first met at swimming um, because I had found out about this, you know, swim program. And I, I thought I would try that. And, you know, I know that doesn't sound like it's related to being an naturopathic doctor, but it is because you have to like to, for me to see the people that I wanted to see, i.e. athletes and active people, I needed to meet some of them and I needed to get to know the stakeholders in the community so that I could do um, so that I could help that community. Like I could do these nutrition talks or I could, um, you know, explain what naturopathic medicine is because I think like that was my biggest challenge was that I'm like, hooray, I'm a naturopathic doctor. Like I'm here. And people are like, what kind of doctor? And, and that I still get that obviously, but like, it's, it's, that was my biggest hurdle to overcome. And like for athletes and triathletes, crossfitters, whatever, they're like, well, why would I need a naturopathic doctor? Now I feel like I, I don't have to answer that question as much. Um, but that was my homework. That was my, that was my first year of practice was like educating people about how I could help them. Um, and then also actually, doing things that had value for those communities um, that helped them not only understand what I do, but actually helped them move forward with whatever their goals were. Well, and I mean, I think that's so important for just about anybody. Like if a trainer was listening to this, um, they could pick up some clues as to what they could do if they were feeling frustrated or if they moved to a new location, just like um, go and introduce yourself to people or be part of a community or, uh, like demonstrate your value through through different initiatives and events and conversations and connections rather than like relying on just Instagram or just Facebook because like uh, most of the momentum that people get in their career comes from more than just like the digital space as much as yeah. the digital space can be a big leverage like a lot of the things that work out for people are because of things that they did when when like nobody was watching yeah, totally. And like, if somebody already has a trainer, as an example, or, a, a, you know, someone in their network, and you're like, Oh, well, they already know so and so, so maybe they don't need me like don't you never want to hesitate to still talk, like talk to people. And, um, you know, like, I can think of chiropractors that I know that I know, like have naturopathic doctors in their clinics, even or things like that, that I still, you know, wanted to meet or, um, go for coffee with, like you can still have common ground and, and, um, grow your community or your network. Um, even if they already have somebody in their corner kind of thing. So, so with your clinic, tell me a bit more about like where you're based out of and what it's all about. And like, just like, um, what, what the inspiration behind it was. So when I, Describe like the first three months I worked at that initial clinic um, that I first joined uh, when I moved to Edmonton for five years. And then um, in the fall of 2019, I started thinking, okay, I think it's time to start my own practice. And part of the reason for that was that I wanted to have a space uh, where we could focus on 
what we could do for our community and um, not just not not just provide our care um, and visit with patients, but a place where, you know, we could potentially one day gather <laughs> um, and uh, and have some of these kind of community events and connections that I'm talking about. And so anyways, um, I I opened the clinic. It's called Flow Functional Healthcare. Uh, we're in central Edmonton, kind of Park Allen on 109th Street there. Um, and initially I looked at the space in, like I said, fall 2019 and they got an offer and I was too late and I lost the place and I was so sad and I was, cause it was the perfect location and I wanted, I could visualize everything and I was so excited. And then I just, it just didn't work out. And then three or four months later in January, 2020, uh, the landlord reached out and was like, are you still interested? Our offer fell through. So I bent over backwards to make it work in that space. And we did. And, you know, March 11th, 2020, I signed my lease. And then, you know, what happened on March 12th, the NBA got canceled. Um, so it was sort of like, oh, God, what have I done now? Like, am I even going to be allowed to open? Are, are my renovations going to be allowed to happen? You know, and it actually worked out so well that the renovations were able to go through and relatively quickly because um, a lot of people weren't working in that um, initial shutdown um, in 2020. And so we opened in July of 2020 um, and we started with just the two naturopathic doctors, myself and another Dr. Brianna, funnily enough. Um, and, uh, and now we've grown, we have three naturopathic doctors. We have two office staff uh, manager and uh, part-timer and, uh, lactation consultants. So um, we we have a focus on whole family health, which is really important to me. So, you know, we talk a lot about women's health, but really we're invested in the whole family. And my niche, of course, is the athletes and active people. But as a clinic, um, our passion is, you know, family wellness. So that's, that's, you know, where we started and how it's going. And I'm looking for another naturopathic doctor right now. So I'm hopeful that I will get one in the next uh, few months here because we're, we're really, we're, we're busy and we're loving it. And it's just, it's worked out so well along the lines of the community. Um, you know, we haven't been able to have these community events that we wanted to have, but we've actually hosted some online groups. So um, it's, and people have really liked it. We've gotten a lot of great feedback about our online programs and um, that's going well. I, I'm really excited to hold them in person, um, but we haven't, we haven't done that yet. So. Well, I mean, all of that, makes sense like it's cool how things kind of just work out it's kind of how we talked about earlier with uh you have to be willing to take a risk and mm -hmm. so starting things up and pushing through with them as like the the nba season cancellation <laughs> carried forward um yeah. as as that kept going like every every step forward feels like a risk because you don't necessarily know the outcome but the truth is like um, no matter what's going on in the world, we're not guaranteed to know the outcome. And I think when we're yeah. able to accept that, um, that can be a helpful little like uh, piece. But earlier when we were talking about uh, your experience in Banff, you talked about mm -hmm. values, how you were able to find people who did the same thing, but you still had to find people that shared your values. So with that being said, if you were to unpack your values and kind of like um, just put them all out on the table. Like what, what are your values? 
Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good question that I've actually been sort of, I feel like I've been trying to do a little bit of a refresh on my values in terms of uh, how I articulate them because um, again, like having a new baby has, has changed things for me. Um, But I would say um, my, I used to be able to tell you exactly. I'd say, um, radiant, luxurious freedom. Like that was it. Like those are my top three feelings that I wanted to have. And so when I talk about radiance, like what, what I mean is I want to feel like energized and vibrant, but I also want the people around me to feel that way. Um, and so to me, radiance describes that really well, because it's like this, like you're, your inner light or your inner self is just shining through. You're authentic. You're being real. You know, you don't always have to be vibrant and energized, but, you know, you have that sort of underlying vitality um, that lifts other people up. Um, And so that remains one of my core sort of desired feelings or uh, values, if you will. And then now I think, I I understand so much more the importance of family Um, and I don't have a fancy word to describe what I mean by that, but other than, you know, my family, your family, um, like the, and almost like the collective family, like, you know, we're, we're all in this together and how can we support each other um, so that our families are well. And, and I think a lot of people have shifted in that idea in terms of, you know, working from home and having to change, you know, you know, Oh, the baby's crying. I got to go do that. Or I got to, you know, like having these different um, uh, sort of tolerances for um, our family's needs and putting that uh, first, I think is really exciting Um, instead of it being like, a stress where we're like, Oh, like I, I've, I've got, you know, I've got to uh, make sure I maintain my relationship with my spouse and my kids. And then it's like, we're actually like prioritizing that. And, and it feels, it feels different. Like I feel like we're more grounded in our family units, which I think is exciting. Um, and I think because lots of us haven't been able to see our families or connect with our, our extended families, um, like, uh, what, and whether that's our like friend family or our like blood relatives, you know, um, the family we choose or the family that we have, um, I think, you know, we all are changing how we value that because of not necessarily being able to see each other in person or have those hugs and that kind of thing. Um, so, those two things are really driving me right now. Um, and then I guess like something that's really important to me is, is like continually educating myself. And again, I don't have a good, like I haven't refined my approach to how I, I identify this or say this, but I'm really stuck on staying current and educated. And, um, I, I spend three hours a month minimum reviewing the most um, current uh, evidence in my, uh, you know, favorite topics that light me up because I want to be able to serve my patients in a way um, that I'm on top of it and I'm staying current, even though I'm only in the clinic three days a week. I think it's really important for me to stay uh, informed and educated. And I think I think that's important for all like careers and and um, people to um, stay engaged in your content and your material and your and and what you 
because it changes, right? The world changes, whether it's medicine or otherwise, like we have to, we have to stay current and keep evolving. And the only way to do that is to consume reliable sources of information. And so I'm really trying to um, value um, continuing education um, and just continuing. And that could mean, like I said, like my patient content or my, my actual like research journals that I'm reviewing constantly. Um, But it could also mean making sure that I'm um, my best self and, and educating myself in terms of self care and what's important in that way. So those are kind of my, my top three right now, that radiance family, and then continuing education. Um, and that's also reflected in our clinic, um, which is really important to me, like at our clinic meetings, um, you know, I bring my son and my colleagues, bring their kids if they need to. Um, and that I wanted that, like when I built the clinic, I was like, we have to have a place where we can gather, um, when we need to, when we don't have childcare or otherwise, because, um, you know, women and men, we have, we have challenges around, um, childcare and, uh, staying in our professional life and everything else. So, um, that value just, we really try and keep that up high at the clinic. Yeah. I mean, all of that was awesome. Like, it's cool because the way that you framed it was unique to the way I've seen it framed before. Like, choosing a word like radiance, I was like, oh, that's kind (laughs) of caught me off guard there. And it was just... Yeah, I bet. (laughs) The way that you were able to articulate it made me able to kind of understand exactly what that meant for you, which kind of made it mean something to me as well. Um, Something that you also mentioned when we were talking about, like, your first three months, you, you had like a, a mentor. Um, so when it comes to having a mentor, because I'm a big advocate of, of finding mentors in your life, both in your personal life and your professional life, um, they can be people that you've uh, paid for their time, which I think you should pay for some people's time. And they can also be people that uh, just come into your life and just you treat them with integrity and respect to maintain that connection, but they aren't someone that you're paying. Um what makes a good mentor to you? And we could like dissect that into two different categories. We can look at that as a professional versus a personal mentor. We can just loop them all together and just a mentor in general. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I've really, mentorship has been critical to me and to my success. And I agree with you about paying people for their time. I, I have um, both a, I have my, my, current uh, professional mentor, I'd say is Dr. Jordan Robertson. She's a naturopathic doctor in Ontario. Um, and I learned so much from her um, all the time. And uh, whether it's, you know, clinic ownership or actual like clinical evidence and things like that, I just, I value her so much. And I, and I love learning from her right now. That's, that's where I'm at. And I think like what makes her a great mentor is, um, well, First of all, I think to be a great mentor, you have to be able to listen. And I, cause I think my, when I have students, initially I would always assume that they want to just hear me talk. They want to hear me. They want to know what I know, but that's not always what you, what's important to your student. Isn't always like what you think is important. So I think listening is really valuable um, as a mentor, like, and and that's something that, you know, if, if you can listen to your student or your mentee and understand the challenge or the question that they're asking you, um, you can draw from your experience in a more relevant way. Um, and so 
I think that is one thing. And that's both like professional and personal. Um, my, my personal mentors are, are, you know, women in my life that are athletes, uh, but also mothers right now and, and learning from them how they balance maintaining their athleticism and, um, motherhood, um, is just so cool to, to see and to see women at different phases of their lifespan with that. Um, and, so that is kind of more of a like learning from example um, scenario where it's less of a formal discussion and more of a, I'm going to observe you and how you act and how, what you do and take what I need and leave what I don't. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. Don't overthink it. Okay. <laughs> the thing with questions is they're always like kind of open-ended and up to the interpretation of the the person who's responding to them. And if I don't get what I want from the question, I just ask another. And that's the joys of being a podcast host. <laughs> um, something that uh, I wanted to cover within this episode was just like um, the, the role that you can have as a naturopathic doctor on like women's health specifically. If we bring it to that specific point and I could see how it could absolutely like change somebody's life and how it could uh have like an unexpected outcome like maybe you meet someone who is a stranger and you're thinking that you're going to address a certain thing and then it just like catches you off guard with just how all-encompassing your role or your um, expertise in their life has been like do you have any examples or times in your career so far where it's really just like almost caught you off guard or made you feel like this is why I do what I do kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think, uh, when like the first thing that we do is we try and like our initial visit with a patient is an hour or 75 minutes long. And so we'll go through that whole health history, you know, essentially it's like tell me your life story with your health and every system of your body and kind of try and figure out if there's a rhyme or reason to any like symptoms that a person is experiencing but then also like educating and empowering that person to advocate for themselves within either the conventional medical system or otherwise because I think like is specifically with women's health, like now with social media, people are learning a lot more, um, you know, like historically, even for myself, t like in the past, you know, talking about bowel movements and periods and stuff like that was like, Oh my God, like we don't talk about that. And now like people post like, you know, all about their period on Instagram and, and it, like, that's really cool. And we're changing the conversation and there can be, good, good things and bad things that come out of that. Um, but I think, I think it's mostly good that we're changing the conversation and, and we're actually having these conversations now. And, and so for me, like, it's, it's really neat when I have like a mystery patient, like a really difficult case, for example, where we are having like, um, you know, we can't figure out what's causing the issues. We've done all the blood work, and what always gets me is when somebody's really suffering, but all their lab work is normal or their imaging is normal, but something's wrong. They're not feeling well. They're not themselves. And it's not, you know, uh, psychosomatic. It's real. 
what they're feeling. And I would even argue that that term is challenging in many ways, psychosomatic, you know, like what you're experiencing is real. And so figuring out what has been missed and being able to educate and empower that person, get the right test, figure it out, get the answer. Sometimes we don't always get the answer and that is the worst, but the best is when we do, when we find out, oh, like, actually you have a pituitary adenoma and that's why you've had no period for three years and nobody checked this one hormone that checks for that and did the MRI that confirmed for it. And now we know, and you know, okay, here are the treatment options. And it's just exciting that, you know, I mean, it's a bummer that they've been suffering for so long, but it's exciting that we can change that experience. Same thing with people who are dealing with like perimenopause. Like that is like, like women in their, and I'll say like mid to early thirties, even um, more commonly like late forties or mid forties to late forties, but like it can start early and people's like emotions, their PMS, like they're like, I've had periods my whole life and now it's gone crazy. And they think they're crazy and they're not. And it's just, it's so like uplifting and refreshing to be able to be like, all right, here's what you do with your nutrition, your exercise, you know, supplements or herbs that you might need, or arguably we refer you, like if we need to refer you within the conventional system for hormone replacement, whatever it is, like it's life changing. First of all, to know that you're I mean, you know, your symptoms are real, but to have that validated, that's like magic for me. Like when somebody is like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but, and I'm like, no, I'm actually really interested to hear what you have to say. And here's why you're right. And here's why your experience is common, but not normal or, you know, whatever, just validating those symptoms and that person's experience. Like it, it make that just lights me right up. But also I think it's really validating for a patient to, to be listened to and heard. Um, and then, if we need to go down that like complex road of, of figuring out what's going on, sometimes we go that road, but sometimes it's really simple and half of the healing is being heard and, and validated um, and knowing that you're, you're not crazy, you know? Well, I, I think there's a lot of value that came from that because oftentimes like I'll want to help people, whether it be in my professional life or my personal life, whether it be my clients or my friends and I have to take ownership over the fact that like there's certain things that no matter how much effort I put in, uh, that's not going to help them. And then sometimes just like helping them find the connections that they need is going to help them. So with that being said, in the interest of the people listening to this show that are thinking, okay, I am dealing with something like, like early menopause or something with my hormones or with my period or just anything like that. If they were to connect with you, like, because a lot of people are scared to make connections with a professional that they've never met in their life, even if there's like a form or an email Mm -hmm. or anything like that, what would it look like for a person making their first connection with you? What would the experience be like for them? So, so, I mean, people can reach me in a couple different ways. Like I, I have obviously my clinic webs, a lot of, a lot of my communication is filtered by my clinic. And, and what I mean by that is like my office manager will actually, you know, talk to people and explain what their experience is going to be like, but she, so, you know, you can call the clinic, you can send an email. Like you said, you can send a message on Instagram. If you do, I'll probably just say, please contact the clinic because I can't answer medical questions without having a proper relationship with someone. It's just not ethical. Right. But what I, what I do is essentially like 
we have you fill out a health history form where I get a bunch of information to begin with. So like I'm already starting with a little bit more information than just, hi, you're so-and-so and I'm Dr. B and here's what we're going to do. You know, it's, it's giving me that background and that insight. Um, and then, um, you know, our, our first visit is usually hopefully in person. I can see people virtually anywhere in Alberta. Um, but Usually we like to see people in in person in case we need to do any kind of physical exams or anything like that. And, you know, so I, I, my office is set up really intentionally with chairs that have no um, arms on the sides so that we can fit all bodies in our room. Um, and that's really important to me. Um, health, uh, sorry, weight bias in medicine is astounding. And I think having a space that any human can be in comfortably is really important. Our staff are so welcoming and, and, um, you know, want to, want to, want to greet you and have you feel comfortable in our space. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to me is that somebody feels comfortable, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally when they come through our doors and when they come and sit down in my office and knowing that it's a judgment free zone, like, literally anything that you have to say to me has value. And I, my job is not to um, place judgment on any decisions past or present that have been made. It's, it's, you know, to listen and to educate and empower. And so I, and, and it's, you know, when people are like, Oh, I don't know, I don't know enough about this or that. And I'm sorry. I'm like, don't worry. Like, it's okay. Like you're here to learn more. Like education is like probably 50% of my job is, is teaching people in my office. And that's really important because, you know, even if you come in and you're really educated, you've learned a lot about your condition or otherwise, um, like it's important for us to be on the same page. Um, and, uh, and I will never discount the research that somebody has done on their condition also, you know, my patients live in their bodies for as long as they've been alive and they know their body best. Like my job is just to help find insight. It's, it's not to, when I say educate and empower, I don't mean to say, here's where you're wrong and no, 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 right? Like it's, it's more like, okay, here's where we can connect some dots for you kind of thing. So, I mean, the experience, once, once we've got you scheduled for a visit, I like to think it's a comfortable, um, inclusive and empowering environment. Um, it's, I think that initial like fear of, of reaching out is probably still real. And also like, I think, you know, <laughs> lots of people are worried about what a naturopath is going to say, whether they're going to tell them like, oh, you, you can never eat gluten again and you have to stop drinking alcohol and um, all pharmaceutical medications are bad. Like, no, like that's not what we do at my clinic. Like we are not uh, extremists in any sense. We um, and, and there's no judgment. Like I said, it's like, you know, pharmaceuticals are necessary and life saving. We know that we're not trying to replace drugs. We're we're um, we're not going to put everyone on uh, any kind of diet, let alone a gluten-free diet, unless it's necessary for whatever medical reason, right? So, I mean, people are afraid that we're going to make them make too many changes all at once or something like that. 
my job is to meet you where you're at. And so, you know, okay, do you think these three things that we can implement today, do you think that's going to work for you? And let's talk about potential barriers. Cause that's another thing we know about behavior change is that we have to identify potential barriers to change before uh, somebody can, um, because they might hit those barriers or roadblocks, right? So we need to identify what that might be. And maybe a treatment plan that's a crazy restrictive diet and 19 supplements and everything else is not going to work. Like that to me sounds really overwhelming and I would never want that for somebody in my practice. So, I mean, everything there I think is really important for someone that, uh, might be on the fence about seeing like a naturopathic doctor because like it helps them understand what the actual expectations are rather than their like assumptive expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, another piece of the puzzle is like with your experience as an athlete and we talk about mm-hmm. like obstacles and overcoming obstacles. I found that people who have had to compete at high levels um, with their strength or endurance, um, they're able to take lessons from that and put it into like their professional life or their personal life. What are some of the top lessons that you've drawn from being a competitor? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I, I think to me, even in my life in general, I think endurance and like, I could use the word, you know, similar to how I said radiance before, like endurance, endure. Like I think, I'm built for endurance. I'm definitely not built for sprinting. Like literally, I mean, physically, I am an endurance athlete, but also like, you know, I went to school for nine years. That's a long time (laughs) to endure stress and exams and everything else. But I mean, in, in a professional sense, um, you know, not that I have, not that I feel I have to endure my, my career, but I, I think, um, I'm going, I I have to appreciate that, you know, medicine is a, is a long game. Like you're, we're here for the long haul and things are going to change. And when you're an endurance athlete, um, say you're competing in an Ironman, the conditions can change, whether it's, you know, and and not all of it is within your control. So whether it's the weather changes and it's suddenly raining on the bike and it's slippery and you have to navigate the turns differently or whatever, um, or, you know, there's chop in the swim and you can't see the buoys because the waves are big, like whatever, like you have to adapt. Right. And I think that that's true. Um, in in my career in my professional life that you know there's when things change that are not within my control I have to adapt and I feel like everyone is like haha we've all had to do that the past two years like nice metaphor but it's true right um and and then you know the other thing is like controlling what you can control so even from a from a patient care standpoint um I can only, and this was really hard when I started out, and I'm sure you feel it too, working with clients, like you can only do what you can do. You cannot value, like your your patient has to care as much as you do or probably more, right? They need to care the most about their health and their changes and what they're doing. I care a lot, but I have to be able to park that sometimes if somebody is not ready for the whatever change or they're not um, able to um, 
invest in their health in terms of time or resources or whatever that means for them. Like I have to be able to, to park it or turn it off if it's not, you know, not going to affect change because, and, and so I have to control what I can control. I can give the information um, and my job, that's exactly what it is, is to give information to explain pros and cons um, because that's informed consent. Everything in your healthcare is decision. Um, it's not my job to make decisions for you. And I think we're, I think we're finally moving away from that in conventional medicine and uh, in general, where the patient makes the choice. Right. And, and so I can only do my part and I have to remember that. Um, and it's the same thing when you're talking about competition, like you can only control what you can control. There's going to be things that happen that are out of your control. Um, and, um, and you, you can only care so much, right? Otherwise, it's going to derail you. Um, so it's, uh, and, and it's hard to not take, uh, you know, somebody isn't able to make a change or do something, follow my advice for whatever reason. Um, I, it's hard. Initially, I would always see that as a failure on my part, right? Because I care so much and I want them to be better and feel their best but we have to find middle ground. Like if someone's not able to make a change that's on, it's on them. It is also on me. Um, and, and so it's sort of like a, a mixed bag of applying that metaphor of endurance to my career and then, you know, um, controlling what you can control. Um, and I think that's really served me well in motherhood too. Like being like knowing that like, this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Like I, yeah, he's five months old, but like he's, fingers crossed, going to be around for a long time. And I, I want to maintain my mental and physical health um, because I want him to have that as a good role model and I want him to um, thrive as a, as a human. So, yeah. I mean, that uh, marathon, not a sprint analogy, I've used that so much over the last while. And mm -hmm. even for the people who are tired of like pivoting during the pandemic, <laughs> like, yeah, it's it sucks but it's something that we're all gonna have to accept like it's something that mm -hmm. happens in all scenarios like even like we we talked about how values kind of evolve as different life things happen and like mm -hmm. as people age different like bodily functions change our lives change how we go out into our environment changes our community changes so pivoting is just like it's a thing. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. It's just, we That's became part of the of human experience, right? We just, exactly. yeah, it's just happened at a bigger rate in the past two years. Well, it was big enough that people started paying attention. Um, mm -hmm. and I think as much as the packaging sucks, it's a gift. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's a gift that's going to help people get more out of their life rather than, um, letting it be numbed away by, by everything else that is out there. The things that make us feel broken or the things that make us feel like, uh, like we don't fit in, like we don't have a community or that, uh, our, our health doesn't matter kind of thing. Like there's a mm -hmm. lot of different rabbit holes that we can go on, but, uh, hopefully people kind of got all the lessons and messages from that. And you made a mention about uh, Lululemon earlier, which is super cool because I, I have some connections with Lululemon currently. Um, one yeah. of their phrases is a uh, big, hairy, audacious goal. So if you nice. had a big, hairy, audacious goal, what would it be? Well, I, 
oh yeah see like it's hard for me right now like because I I feel like many in many ways a lot of my goals have gone on pause which is sort of it's weird to say that out loud but I um like my my big hairy audacious goal I I wrote down on a postcard in March 2019 a question to myself and it was mailed to me a year later which was timely and it said um you know how are you changing the face of women's health care in Edmonton and so I don't know that I can give you like a specific big hairy audacious goal but that's something that stuck with me because like while I've opened the clinic and I feel that we're doing that or we're trying to I I think there's more work to be done there and I think I um I need to spend some time figuring out what the action steps are and how and what that looks like in terms of an actual outcome, right? Like, wh- wh- how do we define that as an outcome? Um, but that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and I, and something I've, oh, and, and it's kind of more like a feeling that I want is, is I, I want to feel that I am an authority um, when it comes to women's health and athleticism. Um, and so that's something I'm working on. I, I want to feel like I, and I mean, I'm speaking with authority here. I'm like, this is the way it is and what I believe. And this is true. But like, you know, I, I, to, to be humble, like, I, I think I, I have so much work to do to learn and to research and to, and to be able to present information in a way that's more articulate, um, and, and be that authority and be that resource. Um, like that's, that's, and again, I don't, I can't really define it as a smart goal or whatever, because I, I haven't nuanced that out yet. Um, but those are the two like big things in my, in my world that I'm really focused on, um, and, or that I want to be focused on. Um, and right now I'm just in a, in a holding pattern where I'm, I'm kind of, um, getting, you know, getting used to being a mom, still a business owner and, and working out as an athlete, like juggling those three balls right now is about all I can handle, but I know there's more. And I know I'll be ready for it. And I think sometimes it's okay to sit back and have that bigger perspective. Maybe I'm just telling myself that, that, you know, it's okay to, to pause uh, and redefine. And so that's actually kind of where I'm at with big, hairy, audacious goals. Well, there's a lot of relatability there. Like for myself, something that I've learned about my personality and how I see things is I set like goals for myself that are like, unfeasible like they're out of reach but i'll work Mm -hmm. for them and so they they motivate me but with that being said sometimes i don't uh take the time to look closer and see where i've actually achieved some of my goals and so i've never taken the time to win like to to feel that win Mm -hmm. to really soak it up and so my my challenge for you would be to find different ways to look at everything that you've done in the last two years to be able to like gather up some of those wins um, because that's what sparks the momentum that creates the sort of like that compound effect of continuing to, to improve and learn and grow and maintain and get that momentum and speed. But with that being said, 
on most of my episodes in the last 100 episodes or so, I have the guest give the audience a challenge for the day. If you were to give the audience a challenge, what would it be? Whenever you're ready, you can just be like your challenge for the day is and put it out there. Yeah. I I mean, this is something that I, I struggle with right now. And I think it's important for all of us. I would challenge you to rest with intention and not feel lazy about it. Because I think for me, that's, that's really, and I know for other people too, um, you know, when we talk about being um, go-getters and everything else, it's, it's hard to pump the brakes and rest and not feel like you should be doing something all the time. Um, so I challenge you to rest with intention, refill your cup, like do something that is really restorative for yourself um, and and don't feel guilty or lazy. So to help people carry this out, what does resting with intention look like for you in your life? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, uh, reading a novel, like reading for fun, uh, because I read so much um, for education um and so reading for fun is is really my rest um putting my feet up and being supine and reading for fun that's awesome um so in the interest of time that basically wraps it up for the day but thank you so much for joining me on the show it's been a pleasure to have you on the lifestyle chase thanks for having me it was fun